the other side of the Dead Sea. And Abram took himself over to this side of the Dead Sea, over by, uh, uh, oh my goodness, where's that place? Mamre, right? He's living over by the Oaks of Mamre. That's where he's living right now. And we see that an army has come through and has stolen Lot. Lot uh, gets rescued by Abram. And then Abram turns around and tells the wicked king of Sodom, hey, I don't want your money. I don't need your blessing because God's blessing me, right? He's like, I don't want your money. I've already made a vow before God. He said, I've lifted my hand to the Lord and swore that I would not take anything that is yours. Amen? And it says right at the end of chapter 14 that God then again uh, sends Melchizedek and Melchizedek bless, blesses Abram. Abram gives uh, Melchizedek a tenth of his possessions, right? And then Abram goes back to Mamre, okay? Now here in chapter 15 of Genesis, we're going to begin reading. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I, got, uh, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall, uh, excuse me, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look unto the heaven and tell the stars if thou art able to number. And said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now we're beginning this story after Abram has seen all the great things that he has seen coming from the Ur of the Chaldeans and then going to, uh, oh, what's the first place? Haran. He stopped at Haran with his father, and his father dies in Haran, right? And then he leaves with Lot and all his brothers and his father's men, and they go down into the land of promise, right? They go down to... Uh, Shechem and then Bethel and Ai and then they make their way down to Egypt because of the famine, right? He goes to Egypt, lies to Pharaoh, still gets blessed, comes out of Egypt very wealthy, right? And then comes to the back to the land of promise and him and Lot's herds grow so big that Lot has to go his way and Abram goes his way. Then we end chapter 14 with God delivering his enemies into his hands. I want to just take a step back, if you would, uh, to chapter 14 for just a moment. I want you to note verse 17 of chapter 14. After his return from the defeat 
of Kedalamor, the king and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of most high God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed art thou, Abram, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who hath delivered your enemies into your hands. Amen? Now, Abram has seen all this. And I want to show you for just a moment, Abram is much like you and I, even when we have the promise of God. How many of you are saved? You believe in Christ. Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. Okay? If you believe in Jesus, then you are believing the promise. Amen? Now, if you're believing the promise, I want to show you that Abram is not some giant, but he's a man. Because even Abram, even while God is talking to Abram. Now, I want you to understand, what's happening here is not God showing up like he did in verse, or in chapter, what is it, chapter 12 and 13, where God physically appears to Abram, right? This is not one of these theophanies. This is... A vision. It even says it's a vision, right? Number one, verse one, the Lord speaks to Abram in a vision. Now, he begins this vision with a very specific phrase, and I want you to understand that God understands, even though Abram is a man of faith, that Abram wrestles with his flesh, that Abram wrestles with fear, with doubt, with, with, with the flesh saying, oh, it doesn't look good, it doesn't look right, I don't know if the promise is going to happen. Now, God starts this vision with this, fear not, Abram. Well, what's he afraid of? Well, what he's afraid of becomes exceedingly clear in chapter, or verse 2 and 3. He says, I'm childless. And then in verse 2, he says, and you haven't given me a seed. Now, remember back in chapter 12, God promised him a seed, right? And then again in chapter 13. And then again in chapter 15, or 14, excuse me. And here again in 15, he's going to do it again, right? But he starts out with this, fear not. Why? Because he knew that even though Abram believed him and left Ur of the Chaldeans, Abram believed him and left Haran, Abram believed him and came into Shechem and went to Bethel and Ai and all the way down to Egypt and then back. Even though Abram believed him and went and rescued his brother, uh, his nephew Lot, and God's blessing was surely upon him, Right? What did God say? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you, right? That's chapter 12. That blessing came true in Egypt because Pharaoh took his wife. And even though uh, Abram was untruthful, 
Because God had already made a covenant with Abram, God honored that covenant. And when the Pharaoh had his wife, had Abram's wife, Pharaoh was getting cursed and plagues put upon him. He even asks Abram, why have you done this to me? Right? What happened was God was honoring the covenant that he made with Abram. Even though Abram seen all that, he still wrestled with the idea that him, as an old man, having no heir, how is God's promise coming to pass? Right? Watch how Abram responds. First, I want to note, before we get into verse 2, how God responds. He says, fear not. And then he says, I'm your shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abram, don't worry about it. I got blessings you don't even know about. There's things coming that you can't even fathom. But, but don't fear. Don't fear for what it looks like. I got news for you, okay? Can I get a little wild for a second? I got news for you. I know. The, the reports in Christian magazines, I know the reports on Christian TV, I know the reports on Christian radio, all the church is dying, the church is dead. The ch Guess what? God don't need all those people. He'll take a little remnant and he'll shake up a whole country, okay? He took 12 men and turned the whole world upside down with them. Amen? The church ain't going nowhere. The Bible says... That I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So even if it looks bad, even though it looks like everybody's winning, guess what? They ain't going to win. End of story. We win. Why? Because Christ has already won. Period. I don't know if you realize this, but the book of Revelation says that all things have been placed under his feet. Amen. Or is that, where is that? Galatians? First Corinthians? Okay. All things have been put under his feet. What did he say on Mount, what did he say in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Do you realize when Jesus said that, because I want to I deal with a little thing that goes around right now that somehow Satan has more authority in the world right now than Christ does. That's a lie. Jesus said, all power, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. All. Period. End of story. All power, all authority in heaven, all authority in earth is Jesus's. The Bible says that he's been given the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. The Bible says that every devil at the name of Jesus has to flee. That's what it says. Doesn't it say they can debate you? It doesn't say that they, they can win sometimes. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. Okay. Let's, let's turn there just for, just for uh, humor me, okay? Humor me. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. <clears throat> and this is the close of uh, 
Yeah. Right here. <clears throat> the last, well, I'm going to read verse 26 as well. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put into subjection, it is plain that he is, ex he is expected, uh, excuse me, accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who puts all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Amen? He's been given all authority. Not partial. Amen? So when he says, I'm thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward, He's telling Abram, look, I'm faithful. What he's really saying, can I say it like I mean it? I got the checkbook that'll clear. Amen. He's telling you 100%. I got a checkbook that'll cash any check. Amen. It, it, it won't bounce. It won't fall short. Amen. He said, whatever I tell you, it's going to happen. Amen. Why? Because God is faithful. Do you realize, because the Bible says that God is faithful, I preached a whole sermon series one time because on, on a subject that God never fails. Ever. That literally, the reverse of God failing is he's faithful. Never failing. Amen? So the reality that God is telling Abram, he's trying to reassure his fears. Amen? Now watch this. Even after all that God has done for Abraham, he blessed him, he delivered his enemies into his hand. After living in the land of promise and seeing and hearing God make covenant with him, Abram, in his old age, still felt the stings of human perception of moments of questioning God. How do I know this? Look at verse 2. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. Now, I wrote a little note down in my uh, 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 notepad here. He asks him two questions, <laughs> or he asks him a main question first. What will you give me? You see, I'm still childless. Amen? What is he talking about? He was throwing out his frustrations before the Lord. He was frustrated at not seeing the promise of children to inherit this land like God promised. God promised him. Chapter 12, he said, I'm going to give you a seed that will inherit this land, right? He said, I'm going to give it to your seed. And then that word seed in chapter 12 meant to your what? To your heirs, to your progeny, right? To those who come after you, your children, right? Verse uh, number, excuse me, verse 2. The steward born in his house. I want you to understand that Abram got to the point where he was doubting God enough that Abram had a plan B. Abram
Abram had a plan B. He was like, well, I don't have a kid. I don't have a child, God. Uh, if this Eleazar from Damascus, he's going to end up being my heir. And he ain't even my child. He just was born in my house. So he's going to inherit this. Abram had thought about it enough that he had a plan B. So from here on out, I'm not going to say the name Eleazar. I'm calling him Plan B. Okay? That's his name now. Plan B. Verse 3. Abram reiterates the fact that he has no children and then lays this blame at God's feet. Look. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. He's telling God, look, God, he's pouring out his heart before God, going, God, look, look, I know what you said, but I don't have no heir. I'm childless. Look at me. I'm childless. And then he reiterates in verse 3, he's saying, look, I, you haven't given me a seed. You haven't fulfilled your end of the bargain. Pretty Pretty bold statements if you think about it theologically, okay? He's, he's like telling God what God hasn't done yet, okay? He's telling this to the God that just delivered his enemies into his hands. Think about that. This proves that Abram is just like me and you, okay? That he can see the greatest works of God in his life. And walk away just like a man who looked in the mirror and forgot what he looked like. And it's like, God, I don't know, God. I know you did that, but I just don't know. So a lot of people are, are, are oh, Lord, I know, you know, I know you healed this person. I know you saved that person. I just don't know if you can handle the coronavirus. Are you serious? What's wrong? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> we saw one of our favorite preachers said that, okay? It's funny. But what is wrong with us that we limit God to, oh, he did this thing and that thing, but, oh, you know, I just don't know about this. And that's where Abram was. I know, God, you delivered my enemies into my hand. You protected me in Egypt, but I don't see an heir. Why? Because Abram was looking at his circumstance, looking at how old he was, looking at how old Sarah was. Sarah was probably looking at how old he was, going, nope, it ain't happening. Because he's 10 years older, Carmen knows how that feels. Verse 3, Abram reiterates his lack of an heir. And again, he tells the Lord, it's because the Lord has not given him an heir. And instead, plan B is his heir. Now, I want you to watch how God responds, okay? And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. This is verse 4, saying, this shall not be thine heir. In other words, you can scratch plan B off your list, okay? Because I'm not going with plan B. Plan B doesn't matter to me. Plan B is not in my equation, okay? Now, I know you guys got a plan on what you want to do, okay? And there's things in your life and in your ministry and in what you want to do for God. You got it all planned out. But guess what? 
The Bible says that a man makes his plans, but the Lord orders his steps. Amen. So you can make all the plans that you want, but God's going to work it out just exactly how God wants you to work. Amen. And the reality is God looked at Abram and his plan, and he said, Abram, plan B ain't going to work. Matter of fact, I'm insulted. No, he didn't say I'm insulted, but I, I would have been if I was God. I'd been like, I'm insulted. You even got a plan B, right? But this is how gracious God is. He didn't do that, right? He just told him, this guy ain't going to be your heir. There's no plan B. I don't have a second. I don't have a, you know, oops, if my godly divine power doesn't work here, then we'll do this. Do you realize that God never has a plan B? Okay, Jesus isn't plan B. It wasn't like God made Adam and Eve and just didn't know they were going to sin and plunge humanity into to sin and, and darkness and depravity, okay? And then God was like, oh, well, I'll try the law and I'll give them the law. Oops, the law didn't work. So, um, God was so beside himself that all of a sudden he was like, oh, what am I going to do to save them? I just don't know. And then he had like some epiphany. Oh, I know what. I'm going to send Jesus. That's not how it worked. The Bible says that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That means Jesus was the plan all along. Jesus is the plan. He's not plan B. Amen? Here's a hint for your life. If it's all about Jesus, then you're probably walking in God's plan. And if it's all about you, you're probably walking in plan B. Get out of plan B. Amen? Verse 4. But the Lord came again to reaffirm his promise to Abram. Notice how the Lord responds. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now, God is saying and insisting that plan B is not necessary. Amen? Look at your neighbor and tell him, plan B is not necessary. God promises that Abram's biological seed will be his heir. Amen? Not plan B. Verse 5. And he brought him forth abroad. Now this, this term in the King James doesn't make a whole lot of sense to a lot of us because we're modern 20th century Americans. It, all it really means is he took him outside. Okay? He took him out the front door. He said, come out here and I'm going to show you something, right? But the King James says, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look towards the heaven and tell the stars if they are able, if, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Number one, he took him outside. Why? Because that's what we all do when we start wallowing in plan B. We stay all secluded, hide, or, 
hide herself away, wallowing in pity, going, oh, Lord, I thought you were going to work this all out, but here I am. Got no heir, got no seed, and plan B. Took him outside and gave him a visual reference. He's done this several times. Remember when he was after Lot? He said, lift up thine eyes and look. Behold, everything that you can see is going to be yours. And your children will be like the dust of the earth. Amen? Gives him a visual reference. Count the stars. If you can count the stars, you will know how numerous the seeds that I'm going to give you are. I want you to note the progression of God talking to Abram. Now, you don't have to go to all these places. I'm just going to tell you the addresses, and you can go look it up for yourself, okay? But the progression of the seed is absolutely astonishing how God does this. Genesis 12 and 2 and verse 7, God tells Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will make your seed inherit this land. And seed was singular. Okay? Genesis 13, verse 15 and 16, he tells Abram, your seed will be like the dust of the earth. So now it went from a singular seed to his seed being as the dust of the earth. Now watch this. Genesis 15 and 5, here we have it in this verse. Your seed will be like the stars of the heaven. That if they could be counted, that's how numerous your seed will be. And if you keep following this progression, you'll note that in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8, he multiplies his seed exceedingly. And now, in Genesis 17, 1 through 8, he's not just a great nation, but the father of many nations. See how that's working? Every time God comes and reiterates the promise to Abraham, the promise gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Until you go to Genesis 22, verse 15 through 18, where God says, all the nations of the earth in you will be blessed. Seeing that? It's amazing. Go with me, if you will, to Genesis 22. And we'll start reading at verse 15. And I'm going to be in the ESV just because I've got two Bibles up here. And I want to leave the, the one in the chapter where we're at. Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham in a second time from heaven and said, By myself... I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven and as the sand on the seashore. Notice that now he's saying, I'm going to multiply 
your offspring like the stars of the heaven and the sea, the sand on the seashore. Not or, it's not I'm going to bless your uh, family like the stars in the heaven or the sand of the seashore. He says and. He's multiplying now. Not only are your, your, your uh, offspring going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, I need you to multiply the sand on the seashore to the stars in the heaven and that's how many your offspring will be. And he promised that he would do that in Genesis 17. I will multiply your seed exceedingly. So now we have the seed being as vast as the sand, multiplied by the vastness of the stars, and that's how many his offspring will be. I don't know if y'all ever got that out of this, okay? But this is amazing. Verse 17, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Period. Now we have the crescendo of this blessing that's being multiplied to Abram, where it started with Abram just being the father of a great nation and having a seed. Now his seed is so vast that they can't be numbered by any of the sands on the seashores, multiplied by all the stars in the heavens. And he went from being the man of one nation to being the father of many nations to all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abram. This is amazing how God does this. Now, we began these short five verses, six verses, with Abram doubting and arrested by the fact that he has no heir, right? He's like, I have no heir. You, you, you've left me childless, and plan B is going to be my heir. But when God's done promising this to Abram, verse 6, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, I want you to understand this word, this term, he believed in the Lord. It means that he believed that God is and would be faithful to complete his work, to do what he promised. Amen? It's not just, oh, he believed God like, oh, yeah, yeah, I hear God. He was thoroughly convinced that God was going to do exactly what God said he was going to do. He believed God would be faithful to his word. Now I want to note, belief in God and belief in God's faithfulness, his gracious blessing and care are what caused Abram to be counted as righteous. Faith alone, but never a faith that is alone. Amen. How do I know that? 
Because when you get to the end of Abram's story, it wasn't just because Abram believed God, but because Abram believed God and obeyed. True faith causes us to follow. True faith causes you to go where God tells you to go. Do what God tells you to do and withhold nothing back from God. So when Jesus says in Luke, unless you are able to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. He means it. If you're not willing to renounce all that you have and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Amen. I want you to note Back in Genesis 22, we can flip back there real quick. I shouldn't have turned this Bible, I should have left it there. Notice what he said in verse 18. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now I want to make a distinction here. God already made the covenant with Abraham. Amen? What caused the covenant to keep expanding was Abram's obedience to what God gave him to do. To him who's given will be more given. Right? To him who has, more will be given. Why? Because if I'm faithful with the little that I have, this is New Testament Jesus Christ teaching, right? If I'm faithful with the little that I'm giving, I will be given much. And Abram was not, did not qualify for God to make the covenant with him, but God did. Just like you're not qualified for God to make a covenant with you. The covenant God makes with you is on the qualification of Christ. But when you're given this blessing, what you do with it will determine the measure with which you're given more. That's what Jesus taught. Now, the, the blessings that came upon Abram were all by God's grace, were all by God's providence. Amen. But Abram's obedience is the key that the blessing kept expanding and finally ended up where God had it planned to go all along. Amen. Namely, in Christ, to us. Amen. Who are heirs according to the promises of who? Abraham. I want to note that this faith alone and faith in Christ serves as the New Testament paradigm in the Christian experience. Go with me to Romans chapter 4 quickly. I'll be closing real fast. Romans chapter 4. We can start at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather acknowledging, uh, according to the flesh, excuse me. For if Abraham was justified by works, 
He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Now I want you to notice that God never equates Abraham's obedience with him being righteous. Abraham was righteous simply because he believed. Now I'm telling you that you can see an expansion of the blessing all throughout this narrative of Genesis because Abram is continually obedient. God keeps expanding this covenant over and over and over. And even tells him when he hasn't withheld his only son, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Amen? That's not me. That's what the Bible says. Amen? Now, we don't want to confuse that with righteousness or Abram's standing before God. Abram wasn't counted a righteous man because of what he did. He was counted as righteous because he believed God. The obedience was a fruit of his belief. Amen? What? Right, right. Obedience always brings blessing. Amen. Now, for the disciples, their obedience brought trouble and hardship, persecution. But there was still blessings. The church was growing. The church was expanding. The gospel and the kingdom were expanding. Amen. That's exactly why Jesus told us to count the cost if we're going to follow him. Amen. If you want another verse for obedience or faith, justification by faith, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 25. You can read nearly the whole chapter of 3 of Galatians, and it would benefit you greatly. And, of course, we mentioned James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. In passing, I mentioned that faith apart from works is dead. Amen. Faith, Abraham's faith was never alone. It was never separated from obedience. Amen. It was never separated from the good works. Abram believed God, and the evidence that he believed was that he obeyed. Amen. This isn't a foreign concept. Now, obedience doesn't gain you standing before God. Period. You will never be counted worthy to enter heaven by your own obedience. Because none of us are that obedient. None of us are that holy in and of ourselves. We need Christ to have right standing before God. Amen? But this is definitely, in this story, we can see Abram's humanity at work. Where he was in doubt, where he was in fear of not having an heir. How many of you got things going on in your life that you're trusting God for? Amen? And you're going, God, I, I'm not seeing it right now. It doesn't look right. It doesn't 
Uh, I'm telling you as a pastor, <laughs> amen, that there's several times a week that I go, God, I'm not seeing it. I don't see where you're going with this. I don't know where it's headed. Amen. But this is a continual reminder to me that God is faithful to his promise. And if we're, if we persevere and continue to be obedient to what God has commanded us to do and to do what we know is right, God will ultimately bless us, bring us to a place that he wants us to be and use us for his glory for his honor. Amen. Not for me, not for you, not for anybody else, but for his glory so that his kingdom will come. His will will be done. Amen. On earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you tonight to help us, Lord, as we struggle to live our lives for you. Lord, as we continue to work on being obedient in our faith. Lord, as we continue to work on showing and examining the fruits in our lives, Lord, we ask that you would help us, that you would prune away those things that cause us doubt and fear. Lord, that you would confront us with our fears, that you would confront us with our doubts, that you would confront us with our apathy. Give us strength to overcome. Lord, I pray as Paul did for the Ephesians that you would strengthen us in our inner man by your spirit. That we would be rooted and grounded in Christ and be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus, that we might obtain to the full measure the fullness of God, that we would be filled fully, thoroughly furnished for every good work, God. Help us as we live our life for you, because without you, we can do nothing. But with you, nothing is impossible. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.